0: Welcome to the Rocket Metal Combat Podcast With your host, Dr. Fuck from Thrasher Guy and Combat And the Ayatollah of Alcohola, Ian Wadley So, it's time to fucking get the wax out of your fucking ears That's right, we say fuck a lot Right here on the and Metal Combat Fucking
1: Podcast Hey everybody, it's me, a very sick doctor fuck from Thrasher I in Combat. I got a show tonight, and I'm very sick, as you can tell by my, my withered voice. And I'm here with Ian, who's not very sick but very drunk. Hi, Ian. you got that? You got that right. I am drunk, and I've
2: said you're a sick fuck all along, so you know. Yeah, but this
1: all came to fruition. Yeah, now it's like my my. I got a sore throat, nose is stuffy, and I have a gig with combat tonight, which goes to show, man, if you're in a band and you're not the singer, you got it made. Singers have to take care of themselves, and I'm not really good at that. So now I'm like really sick, and I almost called off the show, but I wouldn't be Dr. Fuck if I would do something like that, now would I? You need to go to a doctor, you dumb fuck. <laughs> yeah, true. But uh, anyway, so uh, we got a very exciting show tonight. Uh should we say who we're going to interview today? I'm sure everybody already knows by now.
2: Yeah, uh, it's pretty awesome. We're going to have Ron Keel calling in later in the episode. And uh, very excited about that. So is the audience, because we've got, uh, got a lot of questions the fans want to hear answered. And uh, I can't wait to talk to Ron. But first off, uh, we got to talk about current events. we got to talk about what's going on in the world of rock and metal. And a big story right now is ACDC. Of course, you got Malcolm Young is out of the band. He's suffering from dementia. Uh, And that's a big, you know, kick in the ball. I mean, if you're a real ACDC fan, you know that he's, you know, (coughs) he's really part of the backbone, you know, just as important as Angus or Bond was or or Brian Johnson is or, you know, Clifford, Phil, or anybody for that matter. But Malcolm wrote a lot in his super solid uh, rhythm guitar player. And, you know, it's very sad to see what's happening to him, but the band's carrying on, and he's being replaced by his nephew, Steve Young, who also replaced Malcolm on the Blow Up Your Video tour, when uh, Malcolm went into uh, rehab for alcoholism, which uh, I don't agree with, you know, nobody nobody likes a quitter, you know, you just drink through that shit, but uh, it's very sad, Uh, and then on top of that, you got all this shit going on with Phil Rudd, which... Yeah, most of our listeners probably know, but if you don't, he was arrested in New Zealand where he's lived for the last, I don't know, almost 30 years, uh, but for he was arrested for methamphetamine possession, uh, marijuana possession, and most importantly, uh, he was accused of hiring two men to commit a murder. Now, he has since been, uh, they've dropped the charge of procuring a murder, uh, but he's still up on the drug possession charges. And just a really strange story. Uh, uh, ACDC won't comment one way or the other uh, if he's still in the band or if he's going to be drumming on the tour. He was replaced for the video they made. And it was also not included in the new band's new
1: promo pictures.
2: And uh, Man, That's a lot of shit going
1: on. And uh, What do you think, Doctor? Yeah, uh, first of all, Malcolm Young to me is extremely depressing. Uh, he was like... To me, he—I've uh, read that Malcolm Young was pretty much the riff master, the guy that came up with all the riffs. So uh, even more than Angus, you know, he was the main songwriter. He's the guy that started the band, um, and uh, it's just a shame that he's no longer. I did see the blow up your video uh, show in the nosebleeds, and boy, that nephew or whoever it is, he played. From afar, it looked just like Malcolm, so it was like almost like I didn't miss anything. But I always, I always said, anybody that knows me, I always said that Malcolm Young's always been my favorite rhythm player, Uh, and, you know, the guy that brought Angus into the band, so he, you know, he's always been like the leader in the early days now, you know, turned into Angus, but extremely sad, as far as Phil Rudd goes, man, that's pretty mind-blowing, but, you know, the whole thing of him hiring people for murder, since he was acquitted, we should uh, get over that, not... You know, hey man, if he was uh, guilty of that, they wouldn't have let him go and drop the charges. So that was probably some uh, uh, misunderstanding. But uh, as far as like the drugs go, hey man, cool. Hey, but but you know, m- my point is is that uh, yeah, she, she's a mess now, and uh, we didn't discuss like uh, the new song, uh, "Play Ball." Which is the only thing I've heard so far And I gotta say that I really was impressed by it Especially Brian Johnson's vocals I thought his vocals were awesome on there And I think it's a good song uh, My bandmates in combat thought it sucked But Fuck them uh, What do you think of the new song?
2: Um, I think it's better It's definitely better than what I heard off of Black Ice uh, That's not saying much But it was an enjoyable song. Um, I'm just at the point now where, you know, with so much shit going on, Malcolm's not there, Phil Rudd might not be there. I'm kind of on the fence, like, you know, do you just call the day and be thankful for, you know, I've seen him twice, I'm sure you've probably seen him way more than that. You know, are you just thankful for the albums, or should they keep going? Uh, I don't know. I'd have to hear the full album to tell you whether they should keep recording or not. Uh, you know, and it would be weird to see live. I don't... I want to see Phil Rudd behind the drum set. Uh, you know, I've seen him uh, without Phil Rudd. Though I saw him with Chris Slade on the Razor's Edge tour. He did a very good job. But, uh, you know, Phil Rudd, in my opinion, should be there because he's kind of like a Charlie Watts, Marky Ramone, uh, where he doesn't get enough respect, you know, because it sounds like simple drumming, but they make it sound simple because they're so damn good. I mean, that's actually... To keep that sound uh, isn't easy, you know? And and plus it shows restraint without, you know, trying to be flamboyant all the time. Uh, but, you know, they don't overplay the song. But, like I say, it's bad enough we're losing Malcolm. And if we lose Phil Rudd too, it's like... I don't know. What, what do you think? Should they to- Should they keep touring or should they just call it a fucking day?
1: Nah, I mean, they got a new album out so they should tour regardless. But, uh, yeah, Phil Rudd... Um I've had some friends like to talk about Phil Rudd like simple drumming but honestly uh, if anybody wants to look at uh, Let There Be Rock the movie and watch them play Let There Be Rock which is like seven or eight minutes long with him pounding that same beat for eight minutes I'd like to see Neil Peart do that. I'd like to see anybody do that. I mean your arm will fall off so I think uh, if anything Phil Rudd is extremely underrated and uh, what he does is it's, it's it, it sounds easy but to do it that long with that much power hitting that snare that hard for seven minutes non-stop that's a very hard thing I'd like to see Pete Sandoval try that you know uh, I'm and, and sure and that's he what can. I'm
2: saying it, you know I think he's like 60 or close he might be, even be over 60 I think he might be 62 and he just put out a solo album by the way but uh, hey fuck it if he needs meth to keep playing it fuck give him the meth what do yeah, I yeah why care? not yeah bring him back man.
1: so what uh, and weed, you know, come on. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, weed is safer than what you do, Ian. It is? Yeah. yeah. Like, Well, who's, who likes to play it safe? Real secret. That's right. That's, what, that's why our, our show is so successful, unlike that other one that I won't talk about, which I'm sure they're all listening right now, waiting for me to say something about that stupid podcast that really bashed me a lot and bashed you. It was featured an ex-member of this that always, always had to blame his autism on being a douchebag asshole, where uh, in retrospect, you know, there's a lot of autistic people that aren't an asshole. And I don't care about your apologies, stop writing me, and uh, screw you, and screw your stupid show. And, and and now now they changed the name of the show, which uh, is an acronym of all four members, which, uh, boy, you better keep those four members or your your show's kind of screwed. That's a wacky name for a... So the, oh, well, I, I guess we are mentioning them, aren't we? Well, i like to say uh, there has been a big fallout with uh, the the other podcast that pretty much ripped us off in every way. Even ripped off reviews that we did. And they're probably going to want Ron Keel on their show now. Um, it, it's just a ridiculous situation where... They went a little overboard on a show that's been up for so long that I didn't know about it until somebody told me what they had to say about me and it really offended me. And then they're going to turn around. First he turns around and says, well, you goof on me, which is a lie. I never goofed on him. And then he changes his tune after that, which he's very good at changing his tune. Um, I'm never going to forgive you, dude, so give it up. And I will never be on your crappy show. I won't even listen to it. Screw you guys. So that's what I gotta say about that. Anyway, uh Rob Keel's gonna be calling in a little bit, so uh are you excited about that, Ian?
2: Yeah, I'm very excited and I know our audience is excited because uh like I said, we put it up on the on the Facebook page, you know, tell us your questions and I got y'all's names, I got your questions. Uh if I do forget anybody or if I mispronounce somebody's name uh you're just gonna have to deal with that shit because I drink a lot uh but I'm gonna do the best I can to mention everybody and to get all the questions in and uh very excited to have our first uh real celebrity interview you know not no offense Gordon but uh this is you know real uh real rock star here and it's not gonna be our last we got some we got some good ones coming up too but uh I say we go right now and talk to Mr. Ron
1: Keel. I say we do that, yes. Let's go back. Let's go into the Ron Keel interview. All right, here we are, uh, me and Ian, and we are very, very, very happy and honored to have on the show this week none other than Ron Keel. How are you doing, Ron?
3: I am doing fantastic, guys. Thanks for having me on the show. I've been wanting to do this program for a long time, and I was waiting until you fired Terrence so that I could get (laughs) on the air
1: Oh man, yeah. A lot of people seem to be saying the same thing. Now we're getting all the killer guests because Terrence is gone. Thank you so much, Ron.
3: Y'all, no, you're welcome. Thank Ron,
1: you. Ron, you are a man of so much history. There's so much history, uh, and I would really like to get uh, into your history. But before we do that, I would like for you to let the listeners know uh, what you've been up to recently, where we can get, like, you know, your metal cowboy, and what else you've been. Uh, what's new What's new with you, and then I'd like to delve into your past, if that's
3: okay. Absolutely. Okay. Um, and I want to start by saying this is a, this is a pretty unique interview in my history, uh, because we're about to make some more history in the years to come. So you're catching me at a point today, this is really the first interview that I've done since uh, we've had some major developments this week that I can't talk about yet. Uh, You know, we've got agreements signed, contracts done, and plans made that are going to take me through through, 2015 and, and, you know, for years beyond. And so there are are some things that I just can't say because I'm not permitted to announce them yet. So it's kind of, you're catching me at a weird place, but I can certainly talk about what I've done the past couple of years reinventing myself leading up to this moment, and that is as the Metal Cowboy. Um, the phrase was coined on uh, our tour bus. Kiel was on tour. We were headlining in U- Europe a few years back. And I'm sitting across the table on the bus with, with my guitar player and dear friend, Brian J. from Kiel, And he said, Ron, you should be the metal cowboy man. That's who you are. Just be who you are. And kind of light bulb went off over my head. And I realized that he was right, that uh, I needed to combine those two elements of my passion, you know, the metal... I've got a metal heart, I've got a cowboy attitude. I needed to combine those musically and create a musical landscape where I could feel at home and be myself, Uh, not that, man, I love metal. And uh, like I said, I've got a metal heart and a a long history as a metal singer, but I'm also a cowboy at heart as well. Uh, That gunslinger attitude, the Wild West, sex, guns and rock and roll and all that, uh, is a big part of my my personality so once i made that decision right there and there on the bus with brian and the guys in Kiel, i made that decision the music the musical direction started to come to me i knew that i was going to have to combine my love of arena rock and metal and screaming vocals and screaming guitars and thunderous drums and anthem choruses with that cowboy mentality and some of the songwriting Finesse if you will that I learned from being a country music artist for the last 20 years, so I uh, Started writing songs for my new metal cowboy release, which was released simultaneously this year 2014 with my autobiography even keel life on the streets of rock and roll so both pieces the book and the new CD are very autobiographical and not only are they you know, really a, a part of me, but they seem to have resonated with a lot of audiences, a lot of listeners, a lot of readers. I think uh, fans know me and understand me more now than they ever have. And you know, some are gonna like it and some aren't. Uh, but I think in order to really like something, you gotta understand it. And I think that now, at least the listeners and the audience and the fans know who I really am and they get it and they understand it and I think it helps them enjoy it more and you can get all this stuff always at Ronkeel.com People ask me all the time it's it's crazy how in this age of information uh, where it's all at our fingertips people don't know squat uh, I got I, just this morning a guy says, man I, you're, I can't get you how i get your book you know I don't know how to get your book they send me a Facebook visit. It's two clicks away, man. and click on the book cover. I mean, it's, it's that simple. Uh, we've tried to, to dummy it down for, for people who are flooded with information in this age of Facebook and Twitter and all these different ways of communicating and getting information. But that's, you know, we'll get to that maybe a little later in the interview. Part of the problem with the entertainment industry and the music industry in general is this uh, disinformation or scattering or diluting of information to where. People don't know anything anymore. I mean, they you know, everything's right there in front of them, and it, it's it's invisible.
1: Right. So, Ronkeel. so, <laughs> so uh, you can also get Metal Cowboy on your um, on your website as well, right?
3: Ronkeel.com. You can get uh, everything that I do, my music, my radio show, the the uh, keys to world peace, there's a cure for cancer on there. It's all wow. there, man. Keel awesome. That is awesome. All right. All right. Right. Do you have a cure for herpes? Absolutely. Go to ronkiel.com Yeah. Sweet. And there's
1: Sweet. this little oh. th- there's a little button that says herpes. You just click on that,
3: right? All right. It's all, right.
2: It's all there. It's all All there, right.
3: right. Really. All right. Ralph's, Ralph's mom thanks you, right? Now. Oh, wow. Hey, 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 hey. <laughs> tell tell your mom I said hi. By the way. Oh, yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah. She told me she was with a rock and roll outlaw. <laughs> you know, you know, uh, Ron, it's too bad you can't see us because I pulled out all my Ron Keel stuff, well, my Keel stuff, to show you what a fan I am. I have all your vinyl, including Lay Down the Law, um, and uh, the live uh, CD, and, uh, and uh, the reunion CD. I, I, I am a big fan. I, I got to let you know before we get into the interview. Uh, I did see you live once. Uh, the Metal Heart Tour for Accept. Do you remember playing Sunrise, Florida?
3: Of course I do. I remember it like it was yesterday, because it was a homecoming gig for me. My family, you know, I have family in Florida, and some are still there. Some have passed away since. But it was the last time I saw my grandma. Oh, wow. Uh, And uh, my my aunts and uncles and my grandmother and and all that. So that was a very special uh, gig for me, because it was the first time I'd come back home to see my family in Florida since I'd made it. You know, and it's really cool to, to, to... kind of share that dream with people that you love. You know, my aunts, my uncles, my grandmother, for God's sake. You know, to say, hey, guys, I made it. I'm playing at the arena tonight, and, I, you know, that, that's a wonderful feeling. So I do remember that gig vividly.
1: Wow, that's great. I, I had no idea you were from Florida. What part of Florida were you from?
3: I was not from Florida, but, my, like I said, I had family. Oh,
1: family from Florida.
3: Family down there. My, my grandmother, my aunts, my uncles. I still have uh, my one remaining uncle, the eldest heel, uncle marvin still lives uh down there in tampa but oh, uh awesome at the, at the time they were uh, thus that was the closest gig to uh to wherever they were living at the time and so i got to visit with them uh during my on the tour but i actually lived in you know i lived everywhere but i lived in fort myers for a while um oh, okay. and uh my my dad was a construction worker he would take us from one job to the next. So we moved around a lot. I got the road in my blood at an early age. And so I called a lot of places home. I did live in Florida uh, for, gosh, I think I went to kindergarten there, actually. Uh, You know, I was probably five or six, I guess, at the time. And then we moved on to Arizona or Pennsylvania or somewhere else. I don't remember. It's all in the... No. You go to RonKeel.com. Uh-huh.
1: So you've been you've been a traveling man even since when you were a little boy. Then
3: that's true, man. I was born uh, I was born with that traveling bone, and like I said, dad was a construction worker, and he if he got a better job opportunity in another state or another city, that's where we went. And uh, and I've been a nomad all my life, even through my adult life, and uh, that's apparently not going to change because in 84 days i'm i'm moving again so uh, i just that's uh, part of this uh, new uh new news that i can't announce but okay. i've been in las vegas for eight years and uh it's been wonderful to me it's been a great opportunity but i'm about to relocate once again uh for my business and for my career
1: okay I, i'm glad to hear that i hope it's uh very successful what you're about to do
3: i think i think it will be i'm very excited. And I, I hope that you'll have me back on the show to make the proper announcements. Plan oh. can do that, and it's going to be soon. It's I would
1: not... I would be honored, Ron, if you come back and make the announcement on our show. Absolutely. That would be great. Okay, uh, uh, Ron, if you don't mind, let's go back, way back, when you first got into my radar, and uh, that was all the way back with Steeler. Now, uh, I have a couple of questions about Steeler, because Steeler, to me, is kind of a, a mystery, because... Um, you were on a uh, Shrapnel, which was a Mark Mike Varney uh, project, as well as uh, Lay Down the Law. Um, was Steeler a band before Ingve came to the states, and then he joined your band, or was Steeler uh, made for Ingve?
3: No, Steeler had already. By the time I'd ever heard the name Ingve Momstein, Steeler had established itself as a force on the Hollywood rock scene.
0: Oh, okay. We were
3: selling out venues throughout Southern California and we had enough juice to get a record deal with Shrapnel Records. And Mike recommended Inge for the guitar position and I, I chose him because I thought he was the best guitar player in the world. But no, he joined my band.
1: Oh, okay. that's what, I, I, I kind of like figured that. I felt like Steeler was Maybe some uh, Mike discovered, and then he, he recommended Yngwie. So that's exactly what happened, right?
3: Well, Mike was the guy who... Mike made a lot of people's careers and has continued to do that. But He was directly responsible for a lot of people's success. He was a very heavy hitter in that early 80s metal scene because he was giving this guitar-driven rock an opportunity to make records and be distributed worldwide. So there's a long list of guys you know, from Paul Gilbert, you know, and on, on down, that uh, their their careers started with Mike Varney on those U.S. metal compilation albums that he was doing. He was writing for Guitar Player magazine. So if you got mentioned in Mike Varney's art, uh, column in Guitar Player magazine, it was a huge feather in your cap or a notch on your barrel, so to speak. So, of course, every metal and hard rock artist or musician on the planet sent their stuff to Mike Varney, it was just part of the deal. Uh, you, you know, you, that's that's the funnel that we're gonna have to go through because everybody sent him whatever their demo or their CD or the, we didn't have CDs back then. I sent him a 45 of Steeler's debut single "Cold Day in Hell," featuring the original Steeler lineup. And of course, we were getting a lot of attention with that single overseas. We were in Kerrang! magazine. We were we had a stellar review from Jeff Barton, who was a very influential. British journalist uh, in Sounds Magazine, which really launched Steeler's career. We were getting airplay in Los Angeles at a time when radio was not playing hard rock and metal. Uh, we were selling out all of the, the major venues, the Whiskey, the Troubadour, in, in Hollywood. So we were, uh, we were on everybody's radar. So uh, we released a single and I sent it to Mike and we became friends and the rest is history and we're still friends uh, i speak to him regularly still here 30 uh 31 years later um and he's he's been instrumental in my career and a wonderful man and and uh, certainly a huge help to, to to me and a lot of other people so that's how it happened i went to uh, mike mike i went to mike's house on new year's day 1983 the first day of the year i was in san francisco vacationing and you know, for New Year's Eve and then he lived about you know 80 miles away so I drove up to Mike's apartment we sat there and he's got walls and mountains of cassettes I mean just walls of cassette tapes that everybody in the planet sent in so we started listening to guitar players and they all sounded the same sounded like a bunch of noodles I mean they all sounded like Van Halen clones that without that you know without that special magical quality that Edward and Randy had uh, everybody was emulating that tapping and sweeping style and all that but uh I heard Ingbass demo, and it was quite obvious that he was the best guitar player on the planet. I said, "I want this guy." So uh, we called him right then and there. Mike and I called him, and he's in Stockholm, Sweden. We've begun discussions to get him to America to to record the album with Steeler. He did the album in nine shows, and then moved on to join Alcatraz with Graham Bonnet.
1: Okay, and that and uh, so he lasted what roughly about a year in Steeler. Uh,
3: four months, one four months. album, nine shows.
1: And there was more Steeler re- releases after you left, correct? No. Oh, no, no okay, because that, that's no. the only one I have. But, there, no. but you yeah. the guys did continue after you left for a little while, right? The
3: Steeler album was released in uh, September of 83. And yes, I kept the band going. I wasn't going to let Ingve stop me, right. but it was done. Steeler was over when Ingve quit. Um, because it gave us uh, a, a, an aura of instability. None of the major labels were going to sign a band that was that unstable because we had a revolving door of musicians. It was uh, So it made sense to, uh, to pull the plug on that in March of 84, about, what, six months after the album came out. And uh, I pulled the plug on Steeler, put a band together and called it Keel. And the rest is history. Within months, we were in the studio making Lay Down the Law. By the time Keel had been together six months, we were already signed to our first major label recording contract and in the studio with Gene Simmons producing our major label debut, The Right to Rock.
1: Yeah, that's that's what I wanted to get into. But before we do, I want to tell you that I am a huge, huge fan of Lay Down the Law. Um, especially Tonight Your Mind and and uh, Princess of Illusion. These are just outstanding songs on this album.
3: Thanks, uh, man. Well, we redid Tonight Your Mind on the Right to Rock album with a different title, You're the Victim on the Crime. It's the same I, song. Yeah, Gene just wanted to change the title, and you know we still do that live. I mean, we'll oftentimes if we have a long enough show time, if we're headlining, especially, we'll end the show with "You're the Victim" or "Tonight You're Mine," whatever you, whichever that, title that, you. That, that
1: song oh, just rules.
3: It and does, man. It's a great showstopper. We'll do. We'll come out for the encore and do "Right to Rock," uh, "Tears of Fire," "Right to Rock," and then end with "You're the Victim" and just beat them over the face with it. It's 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 a, a great tune to, that we still enjoy playing in concert. And you, I'm sure you still do Speed Demon as well, right? You got to do Speed Demon, man. You can't have a kill show without Speed Demon.
1: Which is also on the right to rock as well as uh, lay That's down correct. the law. Uh, now, now, uh, yeah, okay. Just, uh, just, Ian? just a second, Brad.
2: Yeah. Um, I just want to say, uh, this is Ian, by the way. Ron, it's, it's a pleasure to talk to you. Uh, we put it out on our Facebook page that we were talking to you. And we got an overwhelming response. We said, what do you want to ask, Ron? And we got so many questions for you, and I'm going to try to keep them in the same timeline. And uh, Chris Bazemore and Justin Childers wanted to know, what was it like to record with Ingbay,
3: and could you understand a fucking word he was saying? Um, yeah, well, he spoke English. Oh, really? Uh, we just didn't speak the same language, if you know it. Right, I... um, right. I did not record with Ingve, he was waiting on his green card. We could not cut his guitar tracks until he he had the legal right to work in America. We had to keep things above board and you had to have a green card in order to execute a contract in America and record on an album. At the time, Barney wasn't going to proceed with Ingve until he got his green card. And it was late in the sessions when that finally transpired, we'd done the entire album except for the lead guitar solos. So my vocals, my rhythm guitars, everything was done. By the time Bay hit the studio, he went in and did the the lead guitars last. So I didn't actually get to record with him, and uh, I did have some, some input on what I wanted to hear on the songs. It was my band after all, but yeah, it was... Uh, Varney was producing the record, and when somebody's producing an album, he's in charge. That's the way it's got to be, like Gene Simmons produced the Right to Rock, Varney produced the Steeler album. And uh, so I didn't actually have a whole lot of interaction with him. By that time, things had already pretty much gone south, but we were already up to our necks and we had a record deal. We were making an album. It was not, I mean, yeah, things had already gone south. We already knew it wasn't going to work out. At that time. And by the time the album came out in September of 83, nobody on the album was still in the band but me.
1: Oh, wow. Wow. Rick Fox and Mark Edwards were out.
3: Yes, they were gone.
1: So let me ask you, uh, on the Steeler album, is that all you on rhythm guitar?
3: No, Yngwie did some rhythms as well. You can tell he's he's playing a strat with a lot of vibrato. Those rhythms are Yngwie. I mean, the, uh, the heavy, Les Paul, crunchy... Uh, metal guitar stuff uh, is is me, but the anything with a Strat and some vibrato on it—that's Ingrid. Oh, okay, no, that's interesting.
1: All right, um, now 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 we move on to MCA. When you got to sign to MCA, how exactly did you hook up with Gene Simmons? How did that happen?
3: Well, we were hooked up with Gene Simmons long before we signed with MCA. The Right to Rock was not on MCA. It oh, was it on wasn't A&M. The Right to Rock was on A and M Records.
0: Oh, okay.
3: Um, we were signed to a label called Gold Mountain, which was a subsidiary of A&M, and they gave me, as soon as we got signed, they gave me a list of potential producers, and there was all the heavy hitters, uh, Max Norman and Michael Wagner, and you know, all the big dogs were on this list, and Gene Simmons' name was on the list. Gene was looking to get into producing albums and make a name for himself in, in that field as a producer, and that name just, you know... I I pointed to Gene and said, "Make it happen. Hook it up." Uh, I wanted to work with him. It was my—I chose him over that entire list of producers because, uh, first of all, obviously growing up a, a huge Kiss fan, yeah, and the desire to, uh, uh, you know, and it was really good choice. And I can't tell you that it was my business genius that chose Gene uh i don't know what it was it was magnetism i was i, I saw i could see that list in front of me now 30 something years later just like it was yesterday and i just pointed to Gene's name and said i want gene and i don't even really know why In fact, i was a huge kiss fan and wanted to meet him but it was a, ended up being a great decision for us because gene has had so much to do with my career and so so such a big reason for the success that i've had that uh and it was a great call. I mean, the week The Right to Rock came out, we sold 90,000 albums to uh, the KISS Army. Wow. And they embraced us because Gene embraced us. Basically, the KISS fans loved us because Gene loved us. And they bought our, our album and got my career literally kickstarted. started So um, it was a, a huge uh, benefit for my career and, and remains so to this day. And still, obviously, every interview that I do, somebody's going to ask about Gene. And it's, it's an honor for me to be a small part of his career history as well.
1: Right.
2: Uh, uh, Ron, we had some questions here. Uh, Thomas Black wants to know, uh, how involved was Gene in the production of uh, the albums? And I also have a bet going. Uh, was Gene actually producing or did he pay Tommy Thayer 20 bucks to actually turn the knobs?
3: No, Tommy Thayer was still in Black and Blue at the time. Tommy was uh, Tommy was the lead guitar player in Black and Blue, and they were they had their own record deal with Geffen, and they were touring and recording and making videos and all that. Um, Gene was totally involved in every aspect of the production. He was very hands on. He's uh, you know, and you know, one thing that people don't often see behind the hype or the the makeup or the money is that Gene has a true love and uh, knowledge of rock and roll and rock and roll history and music itself. Uh, of course, he's a great businessman. So am I. I'm proud of my business accomplishments, my book, my radio show, the comic book that we're releasing. Yeah, what I'm about to do in 2015. Yeah, I'm proud <laughs> of that. But it all revolves around the music. And, uh, yes, it's a business. But Gene was extremely... Involved in every aspect of that from coming to rehearsals to determining kick drum patterns How the kick drum and the bass guitar work together as a team uh, Vocal harmonies songs guitar tones every aspect of production the arrangement of the songs How the song's going to start how it's going to end and what happens in between uh, Yes, he uh, and and he did not turn the knobs. That's not a producer's job uh, By the way, if anybody doesn't know what a record producer does uh, a record producer coaches the team. Now, some of them do turn the knobs as well, like Michael Wagner, who's an amazing producer, but he's also <laughs> an engineer. And the engineer is the one who turns the knobs, not the producer. Now, the producer can turn the knobs if he's so inclined, if he knows how, and I've turned a few knobs myself. But, <laughs> uh, yes, we paid someone to turn the knobs. His name was Dave Whitman, who was an, and Mikey Davis. We had some amazing engineers on those records. But Gene produced them.
2: Nice. Okay, and uh, also the songwriting credits on on your first um, collaboration—was that did Gene kind of force those upon you, or was that like you agreed to do those? You know, there there was the three Gene co-writes, and how
3: involved was he in the songwriting with you? Well, I can tell you how that transpired. Uh, We got our record deal before "Lay Down the Law" was finished. Uh, we were still in the studio, cut mixing late on the law when we got signed to a major label and they put that list in front of me with the producers. And so it happened extremely quickly in August of 1984. Before we'd even finished late on the law, we had a record deal. And if we wanted to work with Gene, we had to do it right now. Because he was off on, I believe it was Animalized was the tour, wasn't it? Or Asylum? I don't remember. It's its in my Animalized. book. Animalized. Animalize, I would imagine. Which you can buy at ronkeel.com. But <laughs> I, all the facts are straight in the book because I did my research. But, yeah, I think it was animalized. He had to uh, leave on tour with Kiss. So if you wanted to work with Gene, you got to do it right now. And we weren't ready to make a record. We didn't have any new songs except I had. we had this riff called. Uh, it was a riff, and I had some lyrics for it, and we called it The Right to Rock. But other than that, we didn't have any new tunes. So I wrote The Right to Rock stayed up all night and wrote electric love and back to the city <laughs> all night i mean i stayed up i got i need three songs by tomorrow so i stayed up all night finished the right to rock wrote electric love and back to the city and it was time to go to the studio we didn't have any songs guys we, we couldn't make an ep we needed at least eight or nine songs to make an album and gene said you know would you consider recording three of my songs and we said yes absolutely gene gave me a tape with a bunch of his songs uh, on it, his original compositions, and I chose those three uh, that we ended up recording because they fit Keel's personality and attitude. So uh, it was an honor to record Gene's songs, and uh, you know, if we, the the thing was we were on a timetable that we got to work with Gene, we got to record now, and the label wanted to release the album in January. So we got signed in August, we produced the album in September and October, and it, it came out. In January of '85, and became the fastest-selling debut album in A&M Records' history. So it happened really quickly for us. By the time we've been together nine months, we had two albums out. We were working with Gene. We're on tour. We're on the cover of the magazines. It was uh, an amazing experience.
1: And nice. then, and then you went on to uh, release an even more successful album. Am I correct with uh, "Final Frontier"?
3: Well, success is—you know—there's a lot of ways to measure it. And I will never know how many copies any of those albums sold, guys, because we were lied to, we were uh, misled, and uh, so did Final Frontier sell more copies than The Right To Rock? I have no idea. It charted higher uh, on the Billboard charts, uh, but uh, it was, for all intents and purposes, yes, uh, our first, you know, our first world tour, um, and it was at, at least as successful as the Right to Rock, if not more successful in a lot of ways.
1: Well, I know that the record company uh, put two videos out, and uh, I can't remember which magazine was that it voted an album of the year. You remember that?
3: Metal Edge, I believe.
1: Yeah, I think it was Metal no.
3: Edge. it was not Metal no. Edge. No, Keel was voted best new band unanimously by circus hit parader and metal edge all in 86 we were i'm not sure about the best album awards i don't recall that and i don't have any of that in my archives or scrapbooks but i do have the best new band awards wow
1: and uh let me tell you something when i saw you at sunrise you guys were very hungry very energetic it was like it was an experience seeing keel back then you guys were wild on stage. It was like we were, uh, like like wild animals let out of the cage. You guys were just all over the stage. It was a very, very energetic and killer show you guys put on. Yeah,
3: that was something that we, we prided ourselves upon, and that was something that I invented the band to be, was athletic, energetic, and to uh, to be more physical than the other bands. I mean, just to... to and we, 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 were, uh, we were athletes, and it took its toll on us. Now we're a little older, and we've got, you know... You know, there's some there's some repercussions just like an ex-football player i mean after they retire and they get into their 40s and 50s they're they're going to feel those wounds and battle scars and aches and pains and but back then we didn't hold anything back now we uh and we still we still have a lot of energy on stage i would even now i mean keel uh, shares the bill with um some great bands we just did uh m3 festival with queens Reich and striper and uh, Sebastian Bach and a lot of our other contemporaries and I am I'm absolutely proud that uh, we can hold our own and and then some uh, in terms of our our energy on stage at this age at this stage in our career. So yeah, we still bring that. The choreographed moves, the this here, the head banging, the screaming, you know, it's all there. And uh, back then, it uh, back then it was really over the top. It be we it was it, and that was from training. We literally trained from noon to midnight every day. We would rehearse, we'd run the show three times, and then we would play basketball, band against crew. And you know, oh, it wow. really, we lift weights. And you know, we really we did a lot of partying. You know, we did a lot of drinking. We did a lot of uh, other substances as well. But we we were in shape. <laughs> well, you did that after the show, correct? No. Oh, it was oh, before. Oh, shit, no, man! All day, all night. Man,
1: could have fooled me, man. I mean, to be it, drinking and be that energetic—that's pretty impressive.
3: Well, yeah, I mean, uh, that was that was our job. <coughs> Nothing was going to get in the way of that. I don't know that we were ever impaired on stage. Um, well, but, uh, you know that we did have a good time, but while we weren't impaired. We weren't we weren't shit faced. We were partying though. I mean, there's a difference.
1: Yeah. Well, Ron, I got uh, some personal... I wonder if you can give me a little personal advice. I, myself, am a singer in a band. And uh, I've been singing in a band for about seven years now. And tonight, I'm doing a gig. And this is the first time ever I'm doing a gig where I actually have a cold. And I had a really bad sore throat last night, which I kind of got okay. Has this ever happened to you? I'm sure this has happened to you, right?
3: Yeah, well, it happens to everybody. I mean, if you're going to sing for 30-something years... You're going to go through every adverse circumstance from climate to, to your health and the weather and the, the humidity and the lack thereof the, um. The fact that you're on the radio talking yeah. right now oh, you should be resting your pipes, garden with salt water, drink a little whiskey. Uh, whiskey and cigarettes always works for me. Oh. But um, <laughs> the one thing is what you've got to know. And this is the first thing I tell all of my voice students. The voice comes from the heart, man. It's not a matter of your pipes or your, your cold or your lack thereof. It's the heart, man. It's your heart. It's your soul. It's your mind over anything else. Everybody's got a set of vocal cords and a couple of lungs. Right. Not everybody's got the heart and the the desire <clears throat> to sing. So where the heart leads, the voice will follow. You get on stage tonight, you enjoy yourself you bring it from the heart and you don't let anything stop you and if your tone's a little different because you got a cold so be it it's just a, you know it's a different day you're not going to sound the same every day nobody does it's a combination of a lot of factors but uh, I would you know if you wanted actual remedy I have uh, some voice lessons that I do and I could, I could you know, it's too you know, uh, too late now because you got a kick tonight yeah but yeah yeah With gargle with salt water and don't talk man just shut the shut the hell up yeah, but, yeah but but. Talking, Talking puts a lot of wear and tear on the pipes. I've got a gig tonight myself, and you might hear this, that I sound like I'm yelling. I talk in what I call a connected tone. It's a a strong, powerful speaking voice because that puts no wear and tear on my pipes. If you talk softly and you whisper and you're soft-spoken, you're blowing air through your vocal cords that will dry them out and you'll be trashed. If you talk like I'm talking right now, you can talk like this forever because it's what I call a connected or metallic type of tone. And my wife thinks I'm yelling at her, I'll like, say, quit yelling at me, I, I'm just, I'm not yelling, <laughs> I'm speaking in a connected tone, so uh, I'm, I'm not yelling, I'm just, this is the way that I preserve my voice because I've got to talk all day long as well, so take care of yourself and good luck tonight, let me know how it turns out.
1: Well thanks Rod, well I will start speaking a little louder like what you were saying and Another reason why I'm talking today is because it's not every day we get Ron Keel on our show. You know,
3: hey, I you know, guys, had- time, man. You know, you guys, you guys wanted Saturday and you got it. So, yeah,
1: I got the cold yesterday. So uh, I, it's kind of I appreciate the
3: opportunity, man. I never turned down an interview request, and I appreciate you guys inviting me on the show.
1: No, to I, me, you are a legend. To me, I've been, and, a, and I've been I, a fan I, forever.
2: Ralph, Ralph, I'm going to give you a break here, okay? And I'm going to I'm going to go back to some more fan questions because, like I said, Ron, <laughs> we got a lot for you. And, That's cool. and this this is something only hardcore Ron Keel fans know, is that for a period in time, you were considered, uh, considered for the next singer in Black
3: Sabbath. Can you talk about that, Ron? I can talk about it. Yeah, it's all in the book at ronkeel.com. And the hardcore fans already know the answers to those questions because I've been answering them for 30 years. I was not considered. I was in the band for three days. In march of 1984 i have a contract to prove it and tony wrote about it in his book but it wasn't entirely correct um, and uh it was an amazing experience to be considered this is when we're putting keel together by the way i already had was on a mission to establish my band keel and spencer proffer who had produced the debut quiet riot album that sold 10 million copies Uh, He was the hot producer in in LA at the time because Quiet Riot had broken down the doors for all of us. And Spencer had signed on to produce the new Sabbath album. Ian Gillen had quit the band, they were looking for a singer. And Spencer had heard me in the studio doing the Kiel demos. I was recording the Kiel demos at Spencer's studio. And he's hearing me, you know, he comes to work in the morning and he's hearing me screaming through the walls. He chose me to be the singer in Black Sabbath, hooked me up with Tony and Geezer and their manager, Don Arden, and I spent three days with Tony and Geezer, uh, basically just talking about kind of game brainstorming, game planning our future. Tony gave me a list of songs to learn and rehearse and be ready for the next tour. Um, I learned the material, rehearsed it, and, and I do believe that if we'd actually gotten into a rehearsal situation where I was singing with them uh, it would have been a done deal I would have floored them and I would have been a permanent member of the band Uh, Bev Bevan from ELO was actually the drummer at the time this is right after the Born Again album in 84 and uh, Bev was in England and could not come over for rehearsals so we never got between the lines and actually laid it down on stage together and Spencer Proffer the producer who got me the gig was trying to turn them into an 80s hair metal band. He was pushing outside songs on them, trying to make them compatible with the MTV generation. And this is this is Sabbath, for God's sake. You know, it's, it's, <laughs> you're not gonna change them. You're not gonna make them into something they're not. Uh, they're, they were the founders of metal, for God's sake. So Sabbath didn't want any of that, and they fired Spencer. No longer was he... He's, you're not producing our album. You're not changing us. Go away. And, when, and I got caught in the crossfire because Spencer had gotten me the gig. So when they fired Spencer, my deal went south as well. And I never, never ended up recording or touring with them. And that's pretty much, in a nutshell, my Black Sabbath history. Now, something I do want to do, and this is the first time I've mentioned this in an interview because I've just now uh, formulated a plan to try and do this. But I would like to do... A Black Sabbath tribute album and cut those songs that I rehearsed for, for the gig you know, neon nights and you know the Dio stuff the Aussie stuff uh, and find a great Black Sabbath tribute band to cut the tracks put my voice on it and kind of this is what I would have sounded like if I would gotten the, the gig or if I'd stayed with Sabbath uh, and call it rod keel the Sabbath sessions so, so that's a project that I'd like to pursue at some time in the future
2: no, nice that's uh, great uh, Ron, what songs uh, did you learn for those sessions? Uh, did they ask you to sing on? Was it a mixture of the Ronnie and the and the Ozzy years? Was there any Ian
3: Gillan songs? Or? Yeah, there was all, all of the above. Yep. Um, oh, nice. There was uh, all of the above. It was you know, the, I, of course, you got to play the hits, War Pigs and Paranoid, and you know, Sweet Leaf and all that. And I know that the opening song was Neon Knights um a lot of the a lot of the dio stuff a couple of songs from the gillen album um i wish i still had that list it was in tony's handwriting too you know oh he, wow he handwrote a list he said these are the songs for the the tour learn go learn these and i did i i made a cassette tape of all the songs in order piped it through the pa system in my rehearsal room and you know i would do the moves and sing along with it and i learned the gig with the intention of being the new singer in Sabbath. So. Uh, but, you know, it was whatever, whatever song Sabbath played on the tour following that, which uh, Ray Gillen was the singer on. Uh, that would have been the pretty much probably the set list.
1: Oh, so so this tour that they were planning, was this before uh, you guys would cut an album like the 7 Star? Or were they going to do a tour and then cut the album? That's correct. Know? Oh, that's there, what it
3: was. There, there, would, there would have been a tour first. Yeah, there, uh, that was my understanding at the time. Anyway, I, I was ready for anything, whatever... Uh, touring, recording, you know, whatever comes first with the chicken or the egg, I don't care, man, let's just cook <laughs> Right
1: And then we go on to the Keel album the self-titled Keel album uh, which was uh, the last uh, album, correct, on MCA?
3: It was the last album on MCA yeah, 1987, self-titled with, uh, Somebody's Waiting being the, the hit single from that one
1: Yes, and uh, do you have any fond memories of that time or was it, uh, or was it not as great as it was prior to that?
3: Oh, it was killer, dude! Are you kidding me? That album sounds amazing. It's still a lot of a lot of the fans. That's their favorite um, yeah. songs like Cherry Lane and Somebody's Waiting and United Nations. United Nations, I, yes. I said the wrong thing to the right girl. These songs are still staples of the Kiel shows to this day. Uh, the fans love that record. I love that record. It still sounds good sonically. It competes, whereas the the first two sound a little dated. Uh, I think the vocals and the songwriting on that self-titled album showed a true evolution i finally learned how to sing on that record and um the songs I, I think we were at our peak as a songwriting machine um the uh the tour to follow it was we toured with bon jovi on the slippery When wet tour man does does it not get any better than that and, t- and oh. you finally played Madison
1: square garden correct
3: Madison Square Garden sold out three nights in a row. So yeah, there's a few fond memories. Yeah, there.
1: yeah, yeah. And you know, uh, it's a shame because I, I always wondered why they didn't uh, release "Calm Before the Storm" as a video, since you know the '80s was a big power ballad. I think that would have exploded that song.
3: Yeah, Cherry Lane uh, said the wrong thing to the right girl. Come before the storm. There's a lot of hits on that record, man. MCA realized. By the time we were on tour with Bon Jovi, MCA realized they didn't know what the hell they were doing, and they had thrown so much money at Keel. I mean, they, God bless them, they spent millions of dollars trying to break Keel, but they just didn't know what they were doing. It's not a matter of money, it's a matter of how smart you, you spend that money and in what ways right. you, you spend that money. And uh, they pulled the plug on the band that we didn't know. it, of course, we're, we thought it was going to last forever. Uh, we're out there on tour with Bon Jovi. Yeah, we're selling out Madison Square Garden. I'm skateboarding through the halls of Madison Square Garden, high fiveing John Bon Jovi on my way to the stage. Are you kidding me? Uh, I had no idea my my career was in severe jeopardy at the time. But MCA realized they were in over their head and pulled the plug. And then, there was never a second single. It cost at the time it cost about a, you know half a million dollars to launch a single. And rather they, they couldn't spend another half million dollars. They knew they were never going to recoup. Uh, so they, there was no second single from that album, which was you know, a huge mistake. I mean, uh, there were a lot of mistakes made along the way. And, and uh, whether I made them, <clears throat> the, the record company made them, you know, it's part of the game, man. You know, you're playing a chess game. A couple wrong moves will derail your whole plan.
1: But the, yet they, they did release another single for you guys. Rock and Roll Outlaw uh, was on MCA because I'm holding the single right here in my hand. I have a vinyl single it's on MCA. Uh, that was for a movie,
3: correct? Yeah, it's, it wasn't. Dudes. It wasn't from a Keel album. You know, there was no there was no single from a Keel album after that. Uh, they they the Dudes movie soundtrack from 1987. And that was November of 87. That was on MCA Records. Featured this record featured. Listen to the lineup on this album: Keel, Wasp, Megadeth, Steve By, Jane's Addiction. And the record died. Can you? That tells. Wow. That's, what, that's how how brilliant MCA was. They had an album with all of those artists on it, and it did nothing. It, it, no, it did nothing. Uh, uh, so, uh, yeah, we're real proud of that single and video. I mean, it's a great video. It's a great movie. Dudes is an awesome flick, man. Uh, I don't even think it's available on on DVD. Wow. Yeah. Think no, so?
2: no, I don't think so. I have, and I posted the video. On our Facebook page Because I love the video I think it's so funny With you guys Interacting with the stars And everything And you know It's a a great song And uh, I I enjoyed the shit out of it
3: Yeah me too man I still do the song I I do the song In my solo shows I do the song In my uh, In the Kiel shows It's part of our history We love it It really was the first Metal Cowboy song It was the first time When you can take Those three bluesy chords E A And B And kind of you know It was a Rose Tattoo song Of course it's a cover but that rock and roll outlaw and the video or get to dress up and wear cowboy hats and shoot guns and you know walk down the dirt roads you know, in cowboy gear, that was the original uh, it, it conception of what would eventually become the Metal Cowboy, which I am today.
1: That's awesome. And then after all that, you did delve into, uh, you were solely into country music after uh, well, I know you did do a band, like an all-girl band, correct?
3: Fair Game. Fair
2: Game.
3: Fair Game was my post-Keel project for three years, yes. Okay, and then, from, and that was metal, correct? That was commercial hard rock, uh, like Keel. Uh, you know, metal is a strange term. Right. Uh, at, t- at one time, uh, what I thought was metal was, you know, Jesus Priest and and all that. now what I'm hearing people call metal is, is is garbage. It's Cookie Monster vocals and sloppy music. It's just loud and fast crap. You know, it's, to me, that's it's not metal. Metal was larger than life. It was Judas Priest. It was Maiden. It was, uh, you know, even bands like ACDC and Scorpions and Van Halen, to me, you know, because it, 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 it sounded metallic. Yeah, right? that was the original, that's how the term was coined in the, the 60s with the song Born to be Wild. Heavy Metal Thunder was it was about a motorcycle. And I got the, it was in my impression of the 70s, was anything that sounded metallic was metal. Uh, anything that, you know, so that's what people called it back then. I mean, it was acid rock sometimes was the term for it because it was fast and wild and, and all that. But uh, Fair Game, getting back to your question, was very much keel with chicks. And um, the thing was, I didn't want to just reinvent Keel with four new guys. After the band had you know, kind of splintered, Ferrari left the band, and it was dead when Ferrari left. It was never Keel without Mark. We continued on without him, and then Brian left the band. Kenny left the band. It was just me and Dwayne and some other guys. It wasn't Keel anymore. So right. I kept going. I uh, wanted to make a new start, and so at that time, nobody, no rock, Frontman had ever fronted an all-girl band, along the likes of Vixen, and I had worked with Lita Ford. Lita was a friend of mine and still is a very dear friend of mine. Joan Jett uh, played on the Final Frontier album; had a history with her. Um, I always loved chick rockers. I was—I actually wrote a song for Vixen, the title track of their day, their second album, Rev It Up. So there was a lot of interaction and admiration, you know, for for chicks that rock because they. First of all, they, they, they bring a lot of passion to the table, and they, they, there's some special quality that, that a woman can bring to a guitar that, that guys can't do. I thought it would be really cool to do that. First of all, from a marketing standpoint, nobody's ever done it. And it was a way for me to make history. Not just make music, but make history. At the time in 1989, 1990, we didn't know it, but we were dead and buried already. No record company was going to sign us. There were a few bands that were able to break through at that time, X Y Z and Firehouse being the two that really come to mind. And you know, I really admire those guys. Those both bands are friends of mine, X Y Z and Firehouse. I really like those guys personally, musically, and the fact that they were able to break through at a time when the record companies were slamming their doors in our faces as hard rock and metal artists because grunge had become the new uh, the new thing. And so therefore, uh, very few bands were getting signed. And after 1992, nobody was getting signed. And it became a hard time for Aerosmith, Bon Jovi, Van Halen, all those bands uh, were, were struggling, ACDC and Scorpions. I mean, we all struggled through the 90s. Uh, I was sitting there after uh, it was obvious Fair Game wasn't going to get signed. It had been three years since I'd had an album and a tour. Uh, I thought my career in rock was, was over. Uh, I thought, well, that's it. You know, it was a it was a great run. I had a lot of dreams come true, but I was 33 years old, man. I'm not ready to pull the plug. And I lost pretty much everything. I lost the love of my fans first of all, because they weren't buying our shit anymore, man. And you know, God bless them. I love the fans, but you know, the reason we couldn't sell records is because they weren't buying them so uh i lost the house the beach house the sports cars uh i'm married with children now i got no life no career what am i gonna do uh it was a a time to reinvent myself for for my creative survival and for my family uh, i needed to create music and write songs and perform and entertain people and the songs that started pouring out of me were country songs. And I reinvented myself at that time. And you know, I I believe that to master an art form, whether it's judo or sculpting or painting or whatever art form you might choose, in order to master it, you damn well better immerse yourself in it. Don't just dip your feet in the water. You gotta jump in. And I jumped into country music, immersed myself in it. And the fascinating thing was, is I even renamed myself. I dropped the word Keel from my name in order to build a new career anonymously. So the guys in my band, (coughs) the guys in our audiences, none of them knew that they were seeing Ron Keel. I I learned that craft or that art form or that trade in the honky-tonks and roadhouses and rodeos and bars and saloons, making 20 bucks a night as Ronnie Lee and I learned it I mastered it and it's become a skill that has certainly given me a lot of pleasure and enjoyment, creative fulfillment and kind of paved the way for what I'm doing now with Metal Cowboy now country music was not home either that Nashville BS is is, is just that, it's BS uh, that town is much more cutthroat and, than Hollywood ever was and uh, those people in that business they'll chew them up and spit them out quicker than you know, the artists you see in here on, on the radio today are, are going to be gone next year. Uh, the things that you can and can't do, or at least back then in the in the early 90s, there were so many restrictions. You have to look like this, you have to act like this, you have to say this, do that, all that. So country music, <laughs> while the music is, is well, a lot of times there's a lot of similarities with uh, commercial hard rock because it is fun. Good time, party music, a lot of songs about drinking and chasing women. And, uh, you know, I mean, there's a, a, lot of, a lot of common ground with country music and commercial hard rock. I did not, I was never home uh, in that, uh, <coughs> the politics or, or art or whatever of whatever of that genre either. But uh, I do love the music and the, the songwriting and musician skills that, that those people have and that, that they taught me is invaluable
1: where you actually uh, incorporate it in Metal Cowboy
3: now? I do. Uh, Country music taught me uh, to raise my level of songwriting and my standard, especially when it comes to song structures and lyrics. In rock, especially in Steeler and uh, Lay Down the Law and and, uh, the early stuff, there's a lot of throwaway lines, throwaway lyrics that really don't mean much. They rhyme and they kind of fit, but they don't say nothing. Uh, country music, every word, every line is really important. Uh, so I brought that to the table with Metal Cowboy. There's no throwaway lyrics on Metal Cowboy. Every line means something. And whether it's there for for my own creative enjoyment, because it means something to me or because it's going to resonate with the listeners, uh, there's not any there's not one line on this record that's there just because it rhymes.
1: Right. And uh, well, let's let's go back a little bit from Metal Cowboy and talk about how how exactly did uh Keel reunite. Uh, how did you reunite the guys from Kiel with uh Ferrari and Jay?
3: Well the cool thing was that we'd stayed friends, we stayed tight, we worked together, we jammed together, we'd visit each other. There was never any bad blood, ever, with the guys in Kiel. So That was the bridge right there, and we none of us would have ever considered putting the band back together. First of all, it was 20 years, and my name is Keel. I certainly had the right, and certainly had some some high-dollar offers on the table to tour as Keel, because I am Ron Keel. I refuse to do that without Mark, Brian, and Dwayne. because it was a band, and those guys are my brothers. So I'm really proud of that fact that I, I didn't just go out there and tour myself to death as Keel and grind it out. and you know, I, We waited for the right time, and in 2007, a festival by the name of Rocklahoma literally reignited the entire industry. Uh, when uh, Dave Winkie, the promoter of Rocklahoma 2007, when he announced that he was going to put on a three-day festival concert event with Quiet Riot and Twisted Sister and all these other bands. Everybody told him he was crazy. You're gonna you're gonna lose your ass. Uh, he, he put on the event and it was a massive success. 100,000 people or some ridiculous figure. It put us all back on the map and it put us all back on the big stage. Uh, after that, of course, there, there were a lot of copycats and other festivals that followed suit and it was coming up on our 25th anniversary, which would have been 2009. And Mark and Brian and I and Dwayne, we decided if we're ever gonna do it, now's the time because we can do it right. We can get back out on the big stages where we belong at these major festivals and really put an exclamation point on our brotherhood, our friendship, our music, our fans, and our legacy. And uh, so we we decided that we would put the band back together, for some shows in 2009. That was the plan. Well, we we did. We did Rocklahoma that year. We did M3. We did the South Texas Rock Rock Festival, the Midwest Rock Fest. Some amazing festival appearances that year. And immediately, as soon as we started rehearsing, the song ideas started pouring out of us. Now we had no plan to create. Or release new music that was not part of the deal we're just going to play some shows and you know celebrate together our 25th anniversary with our, our each other and our fans the the excitement and the energy that was generated at that time the songs started pouring out of us and all of a sudden we're sitting there with four or five tunes that were a, a, the foundation of what i consider our greatest work which is the 2010 reunion album streets of rock and roll
1: great album
3: thank you I agree.
1: Yes. Oh, well, you know, you pretty much, uh, again, I can't thank you enough, Ron, for being on our show this week, Um, and you pretty much covered all the bases I wanted you to cover, and thank you so much for being cool enough to be on our show, and uh, I really uh, look forward to having you back on when you tell us the big announcement.
3: Okay. Yeah, the the big announcement, one thing that I have already announced is that I'm suspending my streets of rock and roll radio show, which has been on the air for three, almost three years now. And we have 50 stations. Um, I'm, I'm really proud of what we've accomplished. And I appreciate all the fans, the listeners, the the stations that have aired the show, but uh, I've just reached an agreement now to, to, uh, go to move on to FM radio and actually host a daily show on a major FM station, uh, in the Midwest, which, uh, we're gonna be uh, we're gonna be reaching millions of people every day, so I'm really excited about that. And of course, all the details that uh, about that and future announcements, you can find them at ronkeel.com. Follow me on Twitter at ronkeel, Facebook.com/slash ronkeel. There will be a lot of big news in the weeks to come, and i uh, look forward to sharing it with you guys on your show and all the fans that are listening.
1: That's great, Ron. Thank you so much. You are uh, the second person we've had on our show, but to me, uh. The most special guest we've had so far. Uh, no sickness was going to help me uh, make me cancel this show. I had to talk to you.
3: Oh, I-, I appreciate that, man. Have a good gig. Try and keep quiet. Gargle with some warm salt water. And, uh, you know, a shot of whiskey never hurts me, man.
1: Okay, I- I'll do that. I'll do that. And I live on Miami Beach, so I could just walk down the street and get me some warm salt water. Oh, yeah. There you go.
3: I don't <laughs> know about that, man. You might want to microwave some, like, some pure distilled water or something, you know. Just add, w- add salt to it. Thanks for having me on the show, guys. Best of luck. Keep it up. Thank you All so right. much,
1: Ron. Uh, you take yeah. care, man. We'll, we'll talk again. Okay. Thanks. All right. Take All care, right. Ron. Thanks. Bye.
3: Thanks. All right. So
1: so that was our interview with Ron Keel. And uh, and uh, as always, uh, we're going to do Pick of the Week. And uh, I'm going to have Ian go first. What's your Pick of the Week, Ian? All right. All right my Pick of the Week,
2: uh, there's a lot of... A lot of rattling this week in the metal world because Faith No More released a new song called Motherfucker, and a lot of fans are divided on it. Uh, myself, I'm a huge Faith No More fan, and I don't even know what to make of it, but I think that's good. Uh, but my pick of the week, I think, is a very underrated uh, Faith No More album called King for a Day, Fool for a Lifetime. It was their first one without Jim Martin, uh, Trey from. Uh, Mr. Bungle played guitar on it, but did not do the tour. Uh, but I think this album is just a fucking tour de force. It's all over the map, uh, style-wise, uh, but everything is strong. I mean, I really, really cannot stress this album a lot. You know, everybody goes, you know, the, you know, the common fans always pick uh, real thing because it's got epic on it. But more hardcore fans, I would disappoint the Angel Dust. But I think this album is just as good as both of those, if not better in some ways. Uh, really love it. And that is my pick of the week. And
1: you know, I am not a Faith No More fan at all, but I do remember that album. and uh, Whatever was the first single, I actually liked that song. Digging the Grave. Was that the one where the, the, yeah. it's a video where a guy's jumping on a roof and running around? Yeah. It, no, no. Wasn't that it? No, that's from the next album. Oh, okay. No,
2: that's from... uh, Yeah, Where they're they're recreating Vertigo. That's that's from uh, the last album that they put
1: out, album of the year. Okay, well, I I dug that. Uh, My pick of the week, I'm going back to 1988. Uh, A band that should have been much bigger. Uh, They're called Violence, and uh, the album's called Eternal Nightmare. Uh, To me, they are, believe it or not, my favorite of all the San Francisco thrash bands. And Eternal Nightmare is my favorite of all the thrash metal albums that came out from San Francisco. So, yes, I, I enjoy it more than Kill 'Em All and Bind By Blood and uh, The Legacy and what have you. Which I do love all those albums as well. But I feel Violence was very underrated. Um, they had a singer where you either got it or you didn't. Uh, you either hated it or you worshipped it. Kind of like a, you know the same with King Diamond. You either love it or you hate it. Sean Killian was a very unique singer. I love that band, and I and I do not like at all Machine Head, which features two members of Violence now that's become quite successful, but I was never into Machine Head. And uh, to me, Violence is my pick of the week, and also their other album, Oppressing the Masses, and the Torture Tactics EP is also worth checking out. If you're a fan of Thrash, and you've never heard Eternal Nightmare... Then you're not a fan of thrash until you hear it. So that's my pick of the weekend.
2: Austin, I I need to I need to check it out. I'm kind of like the opposite of you. Uh, Not that I hate violence, but I I love Machine Head. Uh, And and I you know I've I've listened to a little bit of violence, but it just didn't catch me. Not not that I hate it, but but I I think it's something I I need to check out again Uh, because it does have such a you know it's held in such high esteem. Uh, but people, you know, love thrash, And, uh, you know, sometimes you get albums, you know, later on. And this, this might be one that, you know, I'll give it another chance, another day in court. I might love it. But I'll I, definitely check it out.
1: I highly recommend it.
2: All right. Another thing I want to talk about is the contest we have going right now. And that's where if you want a guest on this show, you can. There's only a few things you got to do. You got to have a USB mic that sounds good. You got to be able to get on Skype, but most importantly, you have to go on to iTunes and leave us a nice review and and you know or, or a crazy review. I want to go up to the most creative, the one that makes me laugh, or I think like, wow, that guy put a lot of thought into that. You know, we're, we're going to check them all. This contest is going to run till the end of January, and we're going to pick a winner. And you are going to be a guest co-host on our show. And since announcing the contest last week, I couldn't believe the response. Because not one of you responded on the iTunes. Come on, if nobody responds, you know what we're going to do? We're going to bring back Terrence.
1: Now, no, 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 no. No way. I'll leave the damn show if you do that.
2: <laughs> All right, I'm just saying. we want. Come on, it's not that hard. All you got to do, you got to start. I think this is what's holding people back, is you got to have an iTunes account. But you just, you know, you got to fill out a little bit of shit and then you can leave a review. And the thing is, we're looking to get some advertising. And what's going to help with the advertising? We got a lot of fans. We got a shitload of fans. We just went over 50,000 plays, which is for a small podcast like this is amazing. And we have fans all over the world because I keep track of everything. But for us to get some advertising, they look at the iTunes numbers. And that's where our numbers are lacking just a little bit. So just by going on there and giving like a a review would mean everything to us. And that's how we get to involve you guys with the show. So please go on that. You got to the end of January. Be creative. Be funny. But, uh, you know, just do it. You know? And another thing, check out some past episodes. This will be, I believe, our 27th episode? 26th or 27th episode? Check out the past episodes. You know, some people are like, eh, I don't really like that band, but you know what? You still might love the episode. There's a lot of great shit going on, and I, I think they're all pretty good. And I want to thank all of our fans. You know, Ralph, we now have fans in 48 states. Wow. We might have it all. See, I, I look at the numbers, and our biggest percentage is unknown. <laughs> and then it gets broken down by states. So far, the only states we don't have registered fans in is South Dakota and Hawaii. So if you're in South Dakota or Hawaii, you must be in the unknown. But I, I want to see every 50, all the fifty states. I want to see fans in, and also we're doing pretty good overseas, Ralph. <coughs> <coughs> we're we're awesome. doing damn good. And uh, our number two fan base under the United States of America is Italy. Wow. We yes, we have a shitload of fans in Italy. Uh, is number two. Uh, UK, we're doing real good in. Uh, you know, our, our cousins up north, Canada, we're pretty big. Puerto Rico, thanks to you going over there, is doing incredible for us. But uh, we have fans all over the globe. Russia, you know, you know, South America. <coughs> it's amazing that people want to hear our bullshit in all these other countries, and I'm I'm thankful for it. I think that's fucking awesome. So. Uh, you know, thanks for supporting the show, and you know, bring us to your country to do a live episode. You know, go, go go to your you know go to your leaders and say we need the podcast live here. You know, get your country to fly us there, and we'll do a, a live episode.
1: Well, uh, depends. But, you know, I mean, there's some countries I don't want to go to, dude. You know. Yeah, but if if, if we got fans there. You know. Yeah, but the water, dude. <laughs>
2: Okay, and also for Fan of the Week, I would like to do Rodney Yoker. Rodney's a great fan of the podcast. Always, you know, he stays in touch with us on all the different Facebook pages, always leaves nice comments on Podbean. And he has a radio show called Asylum on Friday nights. And I couldn't be more happy. I I believe, I could be wrong, but I believe it's all Kiss. And and, and that's awesome. That's awesome. Because this guy is a huge huge kiss fan but he is just a music fan period and uh and i couldn't be more happy for him you know to see somebody do what we did you know just a fan start their own thing you know and that's what he's doing on his local radio station doing his own thing and uh we need more people like that you know you know fuck all the corporate bullshit you know this i want to hear music put out there by real fans
1: you know what the common man wants to listen to So I want to give a big shout-out to Rodney. And uh, this week, I'd like to end the show with a special dedication to a friend of mine who passed away this week. Uh, Very, very sad news that I got. Uh, I think I did have used this band as a pick of the week. They were a local band down here called Premonition. And their bass player, who was the nicest guy, man. This guy I never saw angry. I just saw him like a month and a half ago at a Raven show. And, uh, he was just a solid bass player, a guy that loved music. I remember being at rehearsal and the singer would go, let's play, let's play Tormentor by Wasp. And he, he would throw up his arms in the air and go, yeah! And you know, he'd get so ecstatic just to play a Wasp, show, a Wasp song. The guy was the greatest, man. His name was Gorilla Coppish. I'm sorry if I'm pronouncing the last name wrong. I had known him as Gorilla. We were, we were pretty good friends. And, uh... It's sad, man. He uh, passed away this week. He was on life support. While I was in Puerto Rico, which I don't want to like make this uh, a joyous thing, but I, all I can say about Puerto Rico was like the greatest show I ever played. Uh, they treat us like gods over there, and you know, with uh, you know, I'm at the ultimate high for being in this band. Thrasher and I, you know, love. We played two shows, and people loved us, and I was like in the greatest mood ever. And then I get the news that. Gorilla's in life support and knock knocked me down a few pegs. Then I come back home and I find out he passed away and it was, I'm really bummed about it so I'd like to end this show with i I'd like to dedicate this show to Pre- uh, Gorilla from Premonition and also tonight I'm playing a show of Combat. I'm sick as a dog but you know what man, I gotta do it for Gorilla because tonight I'm going to dedicate the show to Gorilla as well. And I would like to end the show with a song from Premonition, the song that got me into Premonition. Um, this is a song, I used to do a radio show back in the day, and uh, the guy that would play the CDs played this song, and I'm hearing this song in the background, I'm like, man, who the hell is that? And he goes, oh, it's a band called Premonition. And I was like, oh, where are they from? And he goes, like, dude, they're from here they're gonna be playing this weekend in the culture room. Like, holy shit, you know? So this is a song that got me into them, and uh, I highly recommend anybody out there look into Premonition. They were great solid heavy metal band, and this song is called We Are Metal.
0: Chosen View! We are the very best cause we are Metal!